Hey, hey, y'all, what's going on? Champagne Sharks, it's T. You know the deal, Ricky Rawls on Twitter. R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S, and we have with us D Mills. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's D Mills. You can catch me on Twitter at MDMills79. I'm here, ready to get to it. How you doing, T? I'm um, doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, just going to do the usual house cleaning. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Donate uh, $5 a month and you get access to double the episodes. Not just um, double the episodes per week, but you get access to all the back episodes. So it's uh, going on about 40 back episodes that you'll instantly unlock just by pledging your first $5. So, yeah, that's pretty good. I recommend it. Also, um, when you join the Patreon, not only do you get access to that, you also get access now to what is called the Discord server. Everyone, A lot of people kept asking me to make a Discord server. I, I didn't know what that was. And what it is, is it turns out it's a text and voice chat. So once you become a patron, you get automatic access to the text and voice chat. So you get to mm. um, chat both via text and by voice with uh, other Champagne Sharks uh, patrons. And people also discuss uh, the episodes and stuff like that. And what I was thinking we can do is to start having actual um, discussions in there, you know, actual hosted things where we go in there and like maybe schedule like an hour a month an hour every two weeks occasional things where we you know hold court on a topic maybe even do it with a guest so you know have a guest uh one two or three of us will be in there with the guest and the guest can answer people's questions no kind of like a a call-in show that type of thing yeah, yeah. So I think I think that'll be good. Um, oh, that's definitely a good idea. Yeah, yeah, and and that's at the five dollar level too. You don't even have to jump up an extra um, level for that. So if you join at five dollars, you get the Discord server too. If you're already a five dollar a month member, then look into the Discord server. The um, instructions are over at Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. Um, also, if you can't donate share the podcast with friends and strangers just let everybody know also leave a five-star review on itunes you don't have to be in itunes and member or in you don't have to be an apple products user because some people i didn't know were not aware of this everyone thought you needed to um own an apple product to leave reviews on on iTunes. That's not true. You can actually just be a regular person. We're going to put the link into the uh, show notes, but you can just create an account, you know, on Apple's website and using that account, leave a review on the uh, Champagne Sharks page. So, oh, okay. so, so, so yeah. We're, yeah we're, I thought the same thing. Yeah. We're yeah. Not- <laughs> it, 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 it turns out, it turns out uh, most people did. Yeah. So yeah. You, you totally don't don't have to do that. And um, also, uh, if you want to talk to other like-minded Champagne Sharks fans on Reddit, 
on championsharks.reddit.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, at Champagne Sharks on Twitter, which we admittedly don't use as much as we uh, should, but we have to figure out a way to uh, incorporate that uh, Twitter account. And that's uh, pretty much all I have right now. Oh, champagne sharks at gmail.com if you want to ask us questions. And now I think I'm truly done. Wait, I'm not. Go to, Reddit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go to um, teamkillmonger.com to pick up uh, your shirt and support the show. Uh, the shirts are dope, and uh, we're using them to uh, help pay for things for the show. So uh, I want to go into actual Champagne Shark shirts next once these uh, shirts sell out. And I'm working on about three or four designs, but but I think they're pretty dope. So, yeah, now for real, for real, we're done. So uh, what's going on with you, D? What's 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 the good word? What's the good word? Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, man. Uh, shit, last week and this past week, man, this was 12-hour days every day at work. And, man, I couldn't wait to get – because, you know, Monday is like my Friday. Right. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, you know, I couldn't wait to get to Tuesday and Wednesday, which are like my weekends off and relax and catch up on some reading and some house chores and shit like that, man. So, yeah, that's pretty much been uh, what's up with me, man. Just uh, vegging out a little bit, catching up on some Netflix and things like that. And uh, shit. Yeah, that's it, man. How about yourself? Uh, I've been doing been doing pretty good. Been doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I've, I can't complain too much. Uh, you know, uh, last week's show, uh, there was a little bit of controversy because some people mm-hmm. were talking about, oh, um, our guest last time said that because uh, we asked her to share some critiques with us. And she said that um, among her critiques, she was talking about... Uh, Dr. Tommy Curry's uh, data, you know, and, and, you know, we told her to give her, um, give her critiques, whatever they would be. And the thing, the thing with uh, that being that she didn't give any specific examples and, you know, there was nothing for us to particularly, uh, rebut or object to all we could do is just ask her to come back with uh more specific examples you know Mm -hmm. but yeah some fans got a little uh upset about that but i mean (laughs) that's to be expected sometimes man you know people kind of you know this is no disrespect to the fans that that found if she says something that was particularly problematic um, like T said, she did very specific. And to be fair to her, you know, it was kind of an off the cuff thing. It wasn't like it was planned or, or she came in with like a list of things that she wanted to complain about. Um, she just kind of went off of the top of her head. So, you know, there is that aspect to it as well. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't coming in with that agenda. So, you know, right, kinda, right, right. we just kind of it just kind of happened that way. And we just gave her a chance to maybe throw it out there, some things that she may have had a problem with, with the show. And, uh, apparently, um, the one thing that people kind of picked out 
was um, some of the comments that she made about Dr. Tommy, Cur- Tommy Curry and some of his, uh, how he uses statistics, looks at data and things like that. And off the top of my head, what did she say? Something like uh, he's over-reliant on statistics and data or something like that. Or maybe he has a faulty interpretation of the data or something along those lines. Yeah, and it was kind of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a tough thing because it's a, it's a kind of a specific charge, but not specific enough to you know really rebut either. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's it's you know you're not giving an actual um, example. So some people were kind of like, oh, you should have uh, said X, Y, and Z, but there's nothing really to say. It's uh, it's someone's opinion, you know, and. Right, if, if right, she, right. Yeah, if she, um, you know, does give us a specific, uh, I always say Pacific. I, 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 I One of those words, huh? That you. Yeah, yeah. I have a bad problem with saying specific. And when I uh, right. rehear myself back then, I said Pacific again. Specific. Right. You know, um, being that it wasn't specific things and, you know, it's not our data, you know, we can't right. really uh, start turning that into a whole different uh, topic. I mean, all we can do is just invite her to give more specific examples. And then when we get a chance, if he's willing, then um, we can hopefully have Dr. Curry back to uh, answer any such uh, claims claims himself. I just want to uh, let people know we're not like taking one side or throwing anybody yeah. under, under the bus. You know, there's no... Exactly. And, and, and- and 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 just to just to not to cut you off, were you were you finished yeah. with what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. done. I was done. Okay, cool. And just you know, for the listeners out there, man, if you hear something on this show um, that you hear a guest say, or you know, one of us or what have you, man, don't you know? Well, I don't. I don't like this thing where you know people want to kind of just run back and report and tell people things kind of haphazardly devoid of any real context or anything like that just to kind of stir up mess because in our community man a lot of times that's what you'll find will happen you know somebody will be a popular speaker or or a host or something like that um their work is being discussed on an in another forum then one of their fans will hear something that was said that maybe was not 100 percent in praise or you know, that may have been a little critical of something that the person said. So then that fan will run back and try to tell that other person via social media. Oh, did you hear this person said this about you on this show, but not give any real context or anything like that. And then it just kind of stirs up shit. So I really hate when people do that, man. So if you're a fan of the show or you listen casually or what have you, Try to be a little bit responsible when you go and you tell people that kind of stuff, man, because you never know how people are going to react to certain things. And, you know, just we want to be mature adults and be um, and use our words wisely. I'll just put it like that, you know. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, I mean, she did choose to bring his name up. So it's it is it is what it is what it is, too. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's she has to, you know, I'm pretty sure she's more than capable of of 
of uh, in the proper setting to, you know, defend her thoughts on the matter. I, I would hope so. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to I just want to get out, get that out of the way because I because uh, I saw some people talking about that. And yeah, now that that's out of the way, what else is going on? Oh, yeah. One thing um, you had brought this up. That young brother, Devontae Hart, it's a breaking news. Um, Devontae Hart. Yeah, um, I don't know if any everybody remembers. Um, about, what was it, back in 2014, kind of like when the Black Lives Matter, when the Mike Brown execution happened and there was a lot of protests going on all over the country. Um, there were protests going on, I believe it was in the state of Washington or Oregon, one of the two. And there was a young man that was captured in a photo by an amateur photographer. And the photo went viral. It was a young black kid um, crying and hugging a white police officer. Um, The kid's name is Devontae Hart. And, um, you know, that photo went viral and everybody was talking about it. Some people were upset because, you know, this child was being used to promote an all lives matter agenda and all of this kind of stuff. And there was a lot of conversation about it back when it happened. Well, some news came out today. There was a lot of stuff that I'd never even knew because I never bothered to really look into the background. Um, But apparently the family that adopted this young man has a lot of a a few of them have been found dead. Um, What happened was apparently uh, they drove over a cliff and plunged to their deaths in, uh, in the ocean. They drove off the side of a cliff into the ocean. And so far they found it was a family of eight. Um, he was adopted by two women, two white women, and um, he had, I believe it was five other siblings. And so far they've found the two women and three of the siblings, but they, there are three children missing. And among the missing children is, uh, is the brother in the picture, Dante Hart. Uh, so Devante. that came across. Devante, what did I say? Devante. You said Dante. What did I say? Oh, Dante, my bad. I'm sorry about that. Um, So he's missing right now. That's the most up-to-date news that I've seen on it. Um, Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of skim through the articles, T. I'll put the links in the the chat. There's a couple of articles written. Some kind of skimmed over the fact that there were some um, allegations of child abuse and neglect happening in that household. Yeah, I saw some tweets by some reporters saying that they were talking to one of the neighbors and the neighbor was talking about how Devante Hart had come over uh, begging for food because he hasn't like, eaten in days and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they confirmed the Child Protection Services came to visit um, to see what's going on with all those uh, black kids yeah. in, the, in the house. Now, I wanted to find out if it was confirmed that it was all black kids that they had adopted. I, I don't know. Um, I saw I saw like six, I think I had six kids. Mm-hmm. Five of them definitely looked black. One of them could have been um, something else. Uh, he could have been either black, but, um, you know, with a, with a lot of, other stuff mixed in. He could have been swarthy white. None of them looked yeah. exactly. None of them looked exactly white. But five, I thought were 
definitely back. And then one was like a wild card. Gotcha. He might even have been white, but he uh, looked a little like swarthy at least. Mm, okay, so at the very least racially ambiguous. Yeah. 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 I got you. Okay. Um, I, um, I, I have some good background to give before we get into the current thing. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's hear it, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about uh, what happened with the original photo, because I didn't realize how many people didn't know what was going on in the original photo, but uh, it had come out that the original photo was uh, staged. It's, uh, Are you kidding me? Oh, th- did you not know this? No, I, I hadn't heard that myself. Oh, okay. this is great. This is great that you didn't know this, because then... Uh, I can work this into. This is very. This is very good. Then, um, I'll send you the links as as we speak. You know, we read and we talk about so many things that I start thinking that we talk about stuff already that we actually haven't talked because because before we even did this show, uh, the three of us used to talk a lot on uh, Twitter and um, you know group DM and share stories. So I thought we shared this one. We probably did. We've shared so many things and talked about so much stuff, man. I probably forgot about it. Yeah, but I'm going to give you um, a link and then I'm going to uh, read, from, read from the link myself. But, okay, cool. but um, okay. So here's one story that was like complex. Um, there's like various ones about this, but this is, I just picked one. So. It says um, the famous Ferguson hug photo was reportedly staged. And it says um, the image is striking. Devante Hart, a 12-year-old black boy, is being embraced by Brett Barnum, an older white police officer, during a demonstration in Portland, Oregon last week. Indeed, the Ferguson hug has become an iconic image from nationwide protests following the decision not to indict Officer Darren Wilson in the shooting of Michael Brown, symbol of unity in a period marked by striking divisiveness along racial lines. But what if this perfect image was essentially fake, or at the very least entirely disingenuous? That's what Portland photographer Alex Riedlinger suggested to the visionary futures tumbler, saying that the picture of Hart and Barnum is strategically cropped in order to mask the fact that the hug was hardly an organic moment. Then it shows two pictures that this photographer took from a distance before the hot photo was taken. And it shows um, one of the white lesbian parents um, coaching and, you know, chatting with the boy while he's holding the sign before he had even approached the photographer, you know, telling him what to do. And then in the second photo, you see the boy start to approach and the crowd is gathering while the guardian is like, you know, setting up to take the picture. Here is Riedlinger's account of how things went from there. The cropping of an image is everything when it comes to subjectivity and the way ideas are projected onto it. Every picture I've seen of this crops out the circus of photographers that surrounded these two creating a captive audience. With such a captive audience, I can't really say that the officer did anything that his superiors wouldn't have told him to do. He kind of goes on uh, a little tangent. Then then he said, I would like to add that Devante was crying before approaching the officer while he was talking to his guardian, presumably because he was terrified. Oh, wow. This brings the question of coercion. Yeah, isn't that crazy? 
This brings the question of coercion to my mind, but I'll let y'all debate over it. So the boy was actually crying because the guardian was kind of coercing and pushing him to go approach that cop. Then, the, then they rounded up all these police officers. So they made it sure the boy was just standing around crying with the sign. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm so hurt over this. Then the cops saw him. Then they saw each other. Oh, and they man. And then, you know, they <laughs> That's hugged. the image that it projected, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But what really happened, and they cropped out all the people on the side gathering. Because these other photographers were gathering before the boy even approached while the uh, guardian was pushing. And he was already crying from, like, I guess he was kind of terrified. He didn't really want to do it. So that's actually a boy kind of in fear of the whole situation in that picture. He's not really being reassured by the by the cop in actuality, but more likely he's kind of crying because he's being forced on the cop and his guardian, you know. So it came out later, you know, these women were actually abusing the kids. This kind of goes in line with this. It's that in a lot of context. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, exactly. yeah. Wow. so that that hug might have been another sign of abuse that was in plain sight that everybody just kind of overlooked because it was what they wanted to see and believe. I'm trying to find one that I heard about that was specifically about um, child services. I know child services. Um, Okay. Oh, and I found the name of the um, I found the name of the neighbor. So, um, Clark, Clark County Sheriff confirms that Child Protective Services visited the Hart House on Friday. Dana Decab uh, reported Devante had come next door more than a dozen times, begging for food, and said that the moms withheld it as punishment. She says she says Hearts didn't come to the door. Uh, I guess when um, CPS visited, then left hours the CPS uh, left and never came back. And uh, I guess that's when they found them. Uh, and also there were no. Okay. The one that I saw early, the Washington times kind of touched on it a tad bit. Oh, okay. I found it. It's W T O P, whatever that is. Hold on. Let me grab the link and post it. Okay. Oh, and I found the name of the um, I found the name of the neighbor. So, um, Clark, Clark County Sheriff confirms that Child Protective Services visited the Hart House on Friday. Dana Decab uh, reported Devante had come next door more than a dozen times, begging for food, and said that the moms withheld That's it sick. as punishment. She says, she says Hearts didn't come to the door. Uh, I guess when um, CPS visited, then left hours the CPS uh, left and never came back. And uh, I guess that's when they found them. Uh, Wait, which, which, and also there were no... I'm sorry. Which one is this in? I didn't even see that tidbit where Child Protective Services came that day and then hours later they took off in the car. It's a, it's a tweet. Let me see if I can find an actual uh, story with it. Oh, okay. You know what? No, never mind. Uh, you're right. Yeah, because I'm reading a, a story in WTOP. Let me, let me. I put the link in the chat. Let me just read it really quick. I think it might be the same thing you just read. Um, 
a Washington state couple who lived next door to a family whose SUV plunged off of a California cliff said they called authorities because they were concerned that one of the children was going hungry. You just read, that's exactly what you just read, right? Dante Hart, Devante Hart had been coming to their house too often asking for food. Yep. It goes into how he gained widespread attention for being photographed, hugging the white police officer. We know now that there was much more to that story than uh, we were led to initially. And then da, 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 they says the date, how do you pronounce that name? Declabes? Declabes? Oh, 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 oh uh, I think it's D E K A L B. Yeah, yeah. Right. Recounted a night three months ago after the couple moved in, when one of the girls rang their doorbell at 1 30 a.m. Bruce D. Clave said, said she was at our door in a blanket saying we needed to protect her. She said that they were abusing her. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So this has been going on for quite some time, man. And um, definitely it brings up some interesting questions because in the community, there's been a longstanding uh, amount of skepticism about white couples who adopt black children. And, um, you know, there's there's been said that there's been potential abuse and things like that happening in those arrangements. And then now I don't know how true that is. I don't know what the day, if there's any specific data set that shows that that's the case, but you know, this kind of feeds into that conception right now, man. I mean, that's a, that's a scary scenario. You know, you think that as punishment, you make your kids go hungry, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I found another story. Is the story you found, is it an Oren Live or a different uh, site? No, not Oregon Live. This is a different one. It says WTLP. By, so they're just reporting what the Associated Press reported on the story. So this is just a regurgitation of what the Associated Press already wrote. What I found interesting in this story, um, the title is Devontae Hart's Family Remembered as Loving comma, unconventional, semicolon. Neighbors and court records suggest strains. So it reminds me of those school shooter stories and headlines where they always try to find the least objectionable or most sympathetic headline and characterization they can. Like, like what is this about the family members as loving or unconventional? Like, like let me tell you something. If, if there were proof of a black family with abuse in it and signs that the mothers um, who were escaping with the kids drove them all off the cliff on purpose as a murder-suicide, which we don't know for sure, but the investigators pointed out that there were no signs of skid marks, which is usually a sign someone is um, not trying to break, that they're actually driving off the cliff on purpose. Because... Usually when it's an accident, just by instinct, you slam the brakes and you cause skid marks. So, I mean, there are a lot of signs that this might be a, a murder-suicide. If, if this was a black family with all those things happening to it, uh, of rumors of abuse in the community, uh, child protection services coming by and ma- making visits, and signs of driving off a cliff on purpose... 
even if if that happened to a black family, even if someone in the community had characterized that black family as loving or unconventional, with all those other factors, they would not have put that in their headline and led with it. If they even mentioned it at all, it would be an afterthought or not even worth mentioning. But in this one, they straight up led with that. And in the headline to boot, that Devontae Hart's family is remembered as loving, unconventional. And then they buried that neighbors and court records suggest strains and that many people also remember them as abusive and trouble-filled. It's way deeper in the article. So who were the ones who remembered them as loving and unconventional, and why was that prioritized over the neighbors and court records that portray them differently? I, I think the reflex behind that, the need to do whatever it takes to give the benefit of the doubt, I think the implication is, hey, look, at the end of the day, this person took in niggers. They took in the trash. They took in the strays. They took in the throwaway people, the garbage people that no one else wanted. So even though they didn't treat them well, they still tried to do something rather than just let them be strays or worse, be raised by their own. Let them be raised by other throwaway people, other garbage people. I think that's the implicit attitude to me that's behind this hedging instinct that you always see it's like hey uh, even if it's abuse a life with a white family is still somewhat of a gift just the mere exposure to them and something else and it's something that we may have to make into a whole episode the indifference to black kids to black lives uh like let's be honest people know that society cares a lot less about niggers than they do about white kids Black kids, black women, black men, they're easier to mistreat and abuse without consequences. Look at Jerry Sandusky. Look at... um, That half-white, half-Asian cop who molested... I mean, raped all those black women. um, Holtzclaw, Daniel Holtzclaw. um, So I'm sure... A lot of white abusers get drawn to black kids or black people for that reason as well. They bank on that societal apathy towards the welfare of black people or that benefit of the doubt that they'll always get compared to uh, black victims. They're hoping, they're banking on that apathy, allowing them to get away with more than they would be able to get away with with uh white kids or white women it's something to consider yeah i mean and to kind of add to that man you know that photo of him hugging the police officer went viral and for it to have turned out for it to be a staged photo you know that's something that usually conservatives loved would would have flocked to a story like that right but it was so buried, it seems, that nobody even looked at that aspect of it when it happened. So, you know, it, is, it, it, it just goes to show that there's, first of all, there's several factors that go into it here. All right, we're getting ready to, to really get heavy into it. And let me preface this by saying I'm not um, against any type of sexual arrangements or anything like that. You love who you love. 
This isn't anything against the gay community or anything like that. So let me get that out of the way. And, and I know anyway, someone's going to still write and say that I was being offensive or something like that. But, you know, just letting you know. Um, number one, as you pointed out, it was they're, they're two white women. Right. And in a presumably lesbian relationship. So, you know, there's a tendency amongst our more liberal counterparts to kind of overlook that kind of stuff or at the very least bury it because they don't want um, these types of relationships or family arrangements being stigmatized, right? Because people are already, the, 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 the saying goes, people are already skeptical about those kinds of relationships where two women or two men get married and want to have a family. So then when you have a situation where you have two lesbian women who are married or what have you, or living together as a couple, adopting children, and then they turn around and drive these kids right off of the cliff, man, that is, that would be something that, again, a lot of conservatives and people like that would try to jump on that and say, hey, look, see, look at this arrangement, man. These people, they don't need to be having no kids, you know? So that that's also another factor that you got to look into as well when you talk about why the, the lead is kind of being buried like that, you know, just another angle to it. So for example, when we talk about gay relationships in the black community, a lot of times because of fear of the stigmas that are associated with gayness in our community, people don't talk about like the high level of domestic violence that happens in the gay community. Right. Because, they had to fight so hard just to get recognized as being, you know, regular couples, just like everybody else. You know, you don't want to start talking about all the domestic violence and shit like that that happens in those arrangements, man. You know, you want to kind of put that to the back burner. You know what I'm saying? Um, so apparently the kid, as far as I can tell, he hasn't actually been found dead. He and a couple of the siblings were presumed to be in the car, but they haven't actually... Um, Found him yet. So he'd be about, what, like 16 right now? Good question. I'm not I'm sure. Yeah, he'd be about, I think, that, yeah, it was four years ago that the protest in Ferguson, I mean, up there happened around Michael, around the Michael uh, Brown situation. So he'd be about 16 right now, I'd imagine. So I'm trying to think if they all, the implication is, well, the thought is in some circles that, you know, they got in the car drove these people and committed basically a murder suicide right that's the implication we don't have yeah right yeah that's the implication it's not definitively right. proven but that's the implication due to the stress of the family them hiding out from the uh cps and then leaving and no skid marks and oh yeah he is 15 he's not 15 you're right mm. the story says 15 yeah so it's kind of hard to get you know a big 15-year-old kid and kind of force him to get into a car if he knows that he's possibly going to be driven to be harmed. So I wonder if maybe, you know, this is just my conjecture, maybe he maybe took off before he anything could happen, man. Like, you know, he sensed something bad was going to happen. I'm, at least I'm hoping, you know, that's the case. As tragic as this whole situation is, man, you know, I hope yeah. they do find him alive somewhere, you know. But, um, um, this article is pretty short and it has some interesting stuff in it. So, um, I mean, feel free to interject at any time. You don't have to wait for me to, um, finish sure. your article. If anything jumps out at you, um, jump sure. in. But yeah, 
I'm going to skip past the parts that just repeat what we've already said. Um, the me the media attention from the um, free hugs folk cast a hard glare on a multiracial family with with same sex parents and a troubled history, including one parent's prior conviction for child abuse. So one of the, one of the parents had a prior conviction for child abuse. It was kind of interesting because you know um, the all these reporters, everybody was covering these people. And nobody found that. But I can also kind of see why, because in this day of clickbait, I don't think anybody stays with a story long enough to go beyond what are the quick facts I can kind of get a story on a website, get some clicks, and then move on to the next click. Like, like I noticed uh, people don't really sit and marinate stories anymore unless something really yeah. jumps out. You just get the sound bites, get, get your clickbait out there, and then move on. Yeah, so. Remember I told you earlier, I'll just get back before. I, remember I told you earlier, I had just seen it in a meme mm-hmm. and at first i was just gonna retweet the meme or whatever but then i said you know what let me look for some more information before i send this out there and we retweet it or whatever because you know i just i don't want to send this out because the implication and the meme that i saw like we said earlier was that you know they did a murder suicide or whatever so i wanted to be sure before i actually retweeted that um, that that wasn't the case or if that was the case or not. So then, you know, that's what prompted me to go ahead and, and look for more information. And now all this other stuff comes out. So it's very interesting. But go ahead and continue, man. Okay. The hearts moved from suburban West Lynn to rural Woodland, Washington, and backed away from the civic activism they felt drawn to. The family reported emailed death threats. Quote, it put Devante in the crosshairs of a lot of people, so to speak, said Samantha Sinclair, a retired nurse in Portland who met the Hart family through mutual friends. It was such a beautiful photo, but not everyone saw it that way. End quote. Um, What's interesting about this is based on the article, you would think the only people with any problem with the photo, you know, that all the outrage was strictly from racist and white nationalists upset with their anti-racism and big hearts that um, this this family had. But if you follow the controversy at the time uh, in the news, in a high, in a bunch of high-profile publications, including Complex and The Guardian and some other big publications, there was a lot of backlash from liberals and leftists and black anti-racists as as well over whether it was a stage photo and a matter of coercion. So this is yet another way to make them look um, more sympathetic in this article to kind of make it seem like the only grief they were getting was from uh, these white racists and, and, and bigoted people to kind of make them seem kind of, kind of almost like martyrs for um, black people when that really wasn't the full scope of the controversy over that uh, photo. An explosion of grief erupted on social media Wednesday as news spread that at least five members of the Hart family died when their SUV plunged off a coastal highway in Northern California and onto the Pacific Ocean shoreline. A passerby discovered the wreckage Monday morning. So they left the house on Friday 
um, they left the house on Friday. That was the last time they were seen. The wreckage was discovered Monday, and today, the day it's gone viral, it's a Wednesday that we're recording. Um, that means that the kid has been missing for five days. Law enforcement said the heart parents, Sarah and Jen, both 38, are dead, as are the teenage heart children. The fate of three siblings, including Devante, now 15, remained unclear, but a search was launched at the crash site for them. Mendocino County Sheriff Tom Allman says they have, quote-unquote, every indication. All six kids were in the vehicle when it went off the cliff. He said investigators have no reason to believe the wreck was intentional. So this article is very interesting because the other sources I've been reading have included statements from other people about there being no skid marks and signs that it was intentional. So the authorities seem to be giving them still the benefit of the doubt too. Like, um, We'll see where, what the truth ends up being. Quote, the children were some of the most joyful, beautiful children I have ever known, end quote, Sinclair said. Jen and Sarah wanted to provide a stable life for them, end quote. So it's still a lot of positive statements being front-loaded so far, so that's interesting. The only thing really negative they've mentioned so far is mild whispers of abuse and a prior arrest for a child abuse Uh, They kind of glossed over in the article. Uh, Continuing, the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office said the Hart parents were married and that all six children were adopted. In a Facebook post earlier this month, Jen Hart celebrated the ninth anniversary of the adoption of three of the children. And this is the Facebook passage. I am a better human in every possible way for knowing these children. They have been my greatest teachers, she wrote. Contrary to the common notion that we can't choose our family, we absolutely can. We choose by loving, and that's worth celebrating every damn day, end quote. And I just want to make an aside to say that sometimes abusive people, sometimes they like that narcissistic altruism, um, the optics of that performative altruism. And that's kind of the vibe I get from this over-the-top quote making, you know, masking the real abuse happening behind the scenes. Uh, It has two functions. First, it reminds you of your superiority to have people you're clearly superior than and can lord over and who are desperate for your approval and are more, and that kids are, kids are desperate for approval. They're, they live for approval. And who are more dysfunctional than you for whatever reason and clearly inferior to you, they rely on you to survive. Um, that's one purpose um, for that narcissist, narcissistic altruism. And this is going to sound kind of messed up, but a lot of times when you feel ostracized or alienated from larger society, uh, this is the second reason that, you know, being kind of a screw up yourself. When you have trouble fitting into or being accepted by society or community, because this article kind of paints a picture of these women as being kind of outcasts or loner, loners, moving around from community to community and never making real ties or good friends or 
whatever. A lot of times, people like that can be drawn to having children around. Because that's an example of someone clearly inferior or desperate for approval. Whether foster kids, adopted kids, or biological kids. As a way to have a captive social circle or community or force ties that they can be in charge of, you know, and they can force that acceptance into. But also, um, and we have to be real honest about this, the same thing happens racially a lot. Many, not all, of course, but many, and we have to be honest here, uh, many white people who immerse themselves around black people, whether, you know, to slum, uh, you know, as part of the social circle or to do volunteer work or ally work or even to form families with them, many aren't always doing it in the right spirit, but because they might feel kind of oppressed for whatever reason or alienated in their own circles or communities and want to be immersed in a circle or community where they are naturally deferred to, where they can feel superior, where they can feel in in charge and just like children, we have to be honest, a lot of black people are very desperate for um, attention from um, white people, the same way a lot of kids are desperate for attention and validation from um, their parents. It's something we have to be honest about. It's uh, been kind of ingrained in us. So these people, um, a lot of times their sense of ostracism and alienation. I'm talking about these uh, white people who are drawn to black people. A lot of times their sense of ostracism and alienation from larger white society is what's really driving their attraction to black people who they see as uh, experts in being ostracized and alienated and even more so than them even. So on top of that, they might feel less ostracized and alienated or dysfunctional by comparison, by having these people who are so much more so all those things um, than them. So I wouldn't be surprised based on the picture of these women being painted in these articles as being unable to fit in anywhere and to find a place anywhere, if that kind of drove their need to collect not only kids, but black kids specifically. These people were not really fitting into, you know, that square, middle class, white picket fence uh, society, you know, of the of the classic old Americana. Yeah. I'm going to give you a, a quick anecdote. I know someone who was um, abused that they went through the foster care system and um, they they landed in a foster home with this family. And um, these are black people. And the girl was um, horribly abused by the daughter, the biological daughter of the woman who adopted her. And um, the mother kind of knew about it, you know, at least... Um, to some degree and kind of just let it go. Right. Years go by. Um, the girl grows up and everything and she gets a letter 
um, on no, not letter. I'm sorry, uh, a Facebook, a message on Facebook, saying, "Would you please write a summary of your time in our home and talk about how you know how wonderful it was and how we took you from you know the situation that you were in before with your biological mother and parents or what have you." Versus how you let you ended up being when you left here, you know, as a success, would you describe it as a success or blah, 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 blah. And I, the person who it happened to, I remember them saying I, I, they had to read it like two or three times just to because they couldn't even believe that that person would even request that they would do such a thing. Because you know, later on, it came after she, you know, told her, like, look, your daughter did this, 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 and this, and you knew what was going on. You yourself did things that were abusive. Um, you would buy us used clothes, clothes that were too small. You were getting X amount of dollars from the state to take care of us and to provide for our needs. You would only get us like the bare minimum and then pocket the rest of the money. I mean, there's just a list of things that, um, you know, she told this person that they did that was wrong. And, she couldn't believe the audacity for this person to, in their head, they believed that, you know, they were being altruistic and they took in these foster kids who, whose mother was a drug addict and all this stuff and helped them to become a positive functioning adult. And so, you know, that, that type of, uh, narcissism, as you described, you know, it seems like it's very common in, in those circles, man. I don't know what it is, but, um, it's not the first time that I've heard uh, it described like that. So you, you absolutely are right. Sorry, but the call dropped for a little bit. So I missed the part after um, the lady contacted for a positive reference or a positive uh, letter. Can you uh, pick up after that? Because I couldn't hear that part. Oh, yeah. Um, so to pick up. So they wrote her on uh, Facebook. And asked her, you know, can she give some positive feedback for her experiences in the in the um, in the foster home and everything like that? Because apparently the the woman who was the caretaker, the foster mom was writing a book. Uh, she had a Ph.D. or what have you. And she was writing a book and um, she wanted her to recount some of the positive experiences that she's had and wanted to know overall, you know, was it a good experience being there? And the person, I remember they told me like they stared at the letter or at the message incredulously because they couldn't even believe that they actually had the nerve to send and ask that question because they, you know, by this time they had known fully what the abuse was that was going on in that house. I mean, it was horrible abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, all kinds of stuff, man. And, um, you know, the person that it was happening to told her this prior to her even ever sending that, that, uh, request. And I remember thinking to myself, damn, that's pretty fucking bold, man. Like if they knew all that was going on, why in their, what in their mind would possess them to even ask you to write some shit like that? You know what I mean? And I think it goes to what you were saying earlier about that level of narcissism that some people have, man. Like, you know, um, that altruistic narcissism, you know, like this person has a drug addicted mother 
and I'm taking care of them. They should be grateful. And, um, you know, it goes along those same lines, man. It's crazy. It's like taking an astray. It's like, hey, maybe we kicked the dog and didn't feed it. And maybe the household was fucked up and we did dog fights, whatever. But, hey, at least we took the dog in. The dog is not in the shelter or for a human jail. And the dog's not astray or, you know, for the human version, the dog's not homeless and in the streets. And and I think race compounds that, like makes them really start feeding themselves. Um they feel, hey, uh, the worst white life is still better to be exposed to than being exposed to almost all black lives, even the so-called best black lives. Uh, we always talk about how the magical uh, white proximity theory about how a lot of people, both black and white, like black people believe this a lot, too. They believe that just the mere opportunity to be around white people just being exposed to them sometimes not even to meaningfully inter interact or form real ties with them but just being exposed to them or having superficial exposure and ties to them is all important to black development and happiness it's a gift in and of itself we talk about how much of uh, civil rights was fixated on assimilation the right to sit next to white people, eat next to them, go to school with them, live next to them, date white people. Even if those white people are heinous racists, like the exact people who were making their lives hell up until then. Uh, as you saw, it can be uh, South when integration happened. These were the people who were terrorizing you and it was still considered the most important thing to be able to go to school around them more than trying to build up your own schools so that you didn't need to be around them to get things. So that dynamic is always in play. You know, we allowed you to be around us. Even if we were shitting on you once we um, integrated you into our schools, jobs and beds. So you should always be grateful for that which I think hap uh, that similar type of narcissistic altruism, I think happens uh, with some of these families too. I mean, even when it's same race, like, cause I, I don't know what the race of the family you're talking about is. I don't know if, uh, Oh no, these people were black. I'm just saying these, these dynamics black, yeah. can happen, uh, in same race families too. But mm. when you add different races to a relationship, and it's compounded when racial dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an implication there that that's going to be there naturally. You know, these were all black kids that came from, you know, situation X, Y, Z, and we took them in, you know, so there's, there's already going to be that unsaid thing like, oh yeah, you know, these two, these poor black, and it was black kids that they took in, you know, it wasn't just white kids. It's, it's almost that same thing of, let me just say, it's almost kind of like that same thing where, they want you to adopt pets, you know what I'm saying, oh, instead of going to like a pet shop yeah. and buying a pet or something like that or going to whatever to get a, 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 a pet. They want you to adopt pets, you know what I mean? And and you get a certain amount of brownie points for doing that. There's, there's, um, yeah. there's a certain level of altruism that's deemed good in liberal circles when you adopt pets instead of you know breeding or what have you 
Yeah, if you adopt a pet instead of breeding, you get, um, you know, instead of going to like a puppy mill, that's right. a good thing. If uh, the dog is older, that's also a good thing. Like, you know, oh, it's not a baby. I got like uh, a dog with a couple of years on them. And, you know, that also gets you. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you add to that, I think it's also like I got a non-wicked. Like, oh, I got um, this, this kid who's kind of, uh, it, it, it's like, getting an ugly or a handicapped dog like you know oh i got this kind of uh I, I got this model that most people wouldn't want you know even ironically so many people think that way now that it's probably almost like the opposite it's almost like almost like a premium on getting them now like it's uh kind of become a become a reverse especially like with all these hollywood people getting them it's like uh yeah there's a rush to show yeah that they can yeah. get the most um unwanted people on earth that uh, it's almost like we've become, in a weird way, the most wanted people in a way. Yeah. You know, Madonna does it, in adopting kids from, like, African countries and things like that. I think Angelina Jolie has a couple of black kids that she adopted. Um, that other actress, uh, I can't think of her name. At, uh, Charlize, Charlize Theron. Theron, yeah, right. She had, She's the one. She had her son running around with a dress on one time, if I recall correctly. Uh, I have an interesting. Uh, I have a theory about that, and I wonder if I'm the yeah. only one. Uh, I wonder if I'm the only one that thinks this. What? Do, why do you think she she does that? Because she's not the only one. Several of them have been getting these black boys, and then making them be feminine for some reason. Mm-hmm. She does it, but I think uh, someone else someone else does it too. Um, but but what's what what's, what's your theory on that? Because 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 I, 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 I have one. Weird. This, I, I want to hear you. I'm, I'm curious to hear yours because I can only see it from a bottom up perspective because that's being promoted heavily, you know, in certain circles in our community. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's certain uh, black feminist circles and things like that that promote um, gender fluidity and uh, talk about hyper masculinity and all this kind of shit. And then they talk about they wouldn't have a problem if their son wore a tutu or wore a dress or this, that, and the third. So I'm not sure. I knew it came from from on high down to them because that kind of shit usually does trickle down. And then, you know, these people pick it up and kind of start spreading it on social media or whatnot. But I couldn't begin to tell you why they're doing it. You know, the elite are doing it. But I have a feeling it could be to have to do with, uh, you know, trying to combat ideas of gender and masculinity like, and all like, that kind of bullshit. Okay, like, look what I think, right? Well, go ahead. If, if you, let's say, like, you have um, a baby, like, Rottweiler or baby tiger or baby lion, and you bring it in your house, and it's cute, mm. cute and it's a baby, but as I think it's older and it's going to get um, hormones coming and it's going to, you know, have its... Um, testosterone or it's estrogen or whatever coming in you know uh if it's a dangerous animal you know because a female lion is can be dangerous too whatever like whatever it is that makes it you know and and one of the things that makes uh the animal aggressive is its sex drive like like uh that's why like when when you neuter um a lot of those animals or get them fixed a lot of their aggressiveness uh goes away like you know it's kind of tied in so it's like if american society views like views like a black man like an animal and like you know there's all these like rapey tropes around a black man you know like we were talking about even in the black panther review a woman's throwing in like 
um, rape, rape analogies where they don't belong. We, you know, we we're talking about that Washington Post thing, and uh, uh, you weren't on that episode. It was me and Mike, but we, we we're just talking about how, how like people just throw in rape when talking about a black man to make a point because they know like a lot of people kind of have that kind of association, but it's like you're kind of alone with something that you're alone with something that society views as like a testosterone bomb, like a rape bomb, like a, like black men aren't considered Mm. men. Like we're considered like less than as men, but we're considered extra as male. Like uh, Neely Fuller always says that there's a difference between being a man and being male. And it's like white men are have anxiety about how male they are, but they know that they're men. Like, you know, they, they're, they're men, whereas black men are not considered men. You know, uh, like black men, that's why they protest and walk around with signs. Like, I am a man, whatever. Like we are denied manhood, but we're seen with extra maleness. It's it's a it's a, it's a paradox. Yeah. You're, yeah. Not, yeah. You don't have the uh, maturity, the responsibility of a, yeah. of a man. You're not civilized as yes. a man is, but you have all of the. Primitive hallmarks, especially the negative hallmarks of yes. masculinity, the primal mm-hmm. hallmarks. So I'm really yeah. I'm wondering these women are trying to. This is the way of psychologically, of um, psychologically of um, symbolically neutering these boys before they get of age. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I. I I mean, that's it, man. I mean, that's kind of the only thing that would make any sense. I mean, because a lot of people would say the kid wants to do this, but I mean, and so we're just letting him dress, you know, how he wants to, if he wants to play with dolls is because he wants to or what have you. But oftentimes we'll find out later that there was uh, a sort of coercion that happened in order to get so they're encouraged to play with dolls so it wasn't like the kid just went into the room picked up a doll and started playing with it naturally you encouraged him to go in and start playing with the doll right or you encouraged him to you know if he wanted to wear a dress go ahead and and rock that dress it's similar to what we just found out about the the young man uh with the hugging the police officer he was yeah it was a cool conversion right yeah and so, and yeah. yeah, and if if you look a lot of times, like these black adopted uh boys in these um a lot of times when you see them in these families, a lot of times they're very effeminized. Uh, I, I noticed that a lot, like like in these um like I don't want to like name names, but a lot of uh these famous uh people who have these uh black adopted uh, sons, they seem to be really, really trying to push them to be like uh, baby soft, you know. And I think it especially happens when there's like white daughters or in, mm-hmm. in the house. You really have to, and they might be around the same age. Maybe they're going to go through puberty together. It's like, okay, now I have this uh, ticking rape bomb in the house. 
alongside wow. my fragile rape magnet because because in the way in the white in the white imagination inevitably gonna call it rape yeah yeah in the white imagination the the white woman's like a giant a giant rape magnet you know those white supremacists they loved that image and yeah yeah whatever because like even that blindside guy like he's a big beefy football-y Mm-hmm. guy and you see him in those family photos he just kind of looks weirdly soft it's it's weird like like on you could tell on the field they're trying to you know make him as aggressive as he as he can but he's right. also like a giant teddy bear like there's something um yeah it's, it's um but yeah i think that's kind of why even even if not even if those people that Charlize to run aren't subconsciously doing it for their own protection, um, like sorry, even if they're not consciously doing it for their own protection, subconsciously like that impulse is is there. Like I have to like, you know, if you have a tiger in your house, you're gonna want to do, and it's your pet tiger, you're gonna want to do every little thing you can to make sure it stays tame. If you hear a growl one day, you're going to be like, "Uh Oh, is this a sign? Is this? Yeah. And there's also that weird sort of, um, exhibitionism that, that has historically happened where, you know, you have these big bucks, but then you want to prove that they're harmless. So, oh, he's harmless. He's he's as dumb as a box of rocks or whatever, right? He, he's a big, giant, buff slave, but he's not going to hurt you because he has the mentality of a child, you know? So mm. in, in those way, and there was always like, a, a, they would do that with spectators. When people would come and look at the, at the merchandise and say, oh, man, you know, that's a big, strong, but are you sure you feel safe? Oh, he's harmless. You know, you see that kind of stuff in movies and things like that. Oh, oh yeah, and, and they do they do with yeah. with the uh, yeah, with animals too. Like, oh yeah, you know, you know too, yeah. yeah, make a big show of showing. I also think too that sometimes, you know, it's not always like nefarious. Sometimes I think because I think a lot of black women and black parents do this too, where they realize. Uh, and Joy DeGruy uh, says this a lot of times. You're like, because uh, this is interview like Sandra Bullock said um, it was in the Daily Beast where she said it was called Sandra Bullock fears for her uh, black son and it goes the actress spoke about shielding her adopted black son from racism as he comes of age in America you know and you know, she's talking about how much she fears for him as a black boy because and that's something that's becoming more and more okay to say and it wasn't okay to say before. And I feel like these recent studies that have come out have kind of vindicated the show a lot because we always talk about how this black patriarchy, black male privilege thing is, you know, not really borne out. And there have been those recent studies that have shown it. But yeah. she's kind of showing that um, she as a white woman knows what the truth is. Because if anybody knows what white people are really afraid of, it's white people. Of the other white people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she talked about how... Um, She's she's really um, afraid of what her son is gonna end up, uh, you know, facing. Also, she was married to somebody that turned out to be a racist. That guy Jesse James. I think he came out to have white supremacy leaning. So he, she probably heard a lot of his um kind of crazy fears and fantasies, you know, yeah. firsthand. Kind of like how Melkerson's wife got to hear like how he was when he was mad, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, "I hope you get raped by a pack of niggas." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's like um, 
Uh, Jordan Grewer even says that you know a lot of times black women kind of want to effeminize their sons as a defense mechanism because they know it, it goes back to slavery and it won't make the um, white supremacist society, white supremacist male feel uh, threatened. And so, you know, I think sometimes maybe some of these uh, white parents knowing firsthand what a lot of white fears are, they might be doing the same thing, like not doing it so much out of fear for themselves, but they might also be doing it because they think, hey, uh, this is why I think it's going to best keep this kid uh, safe, mm. which is might be the, what the, the same reason why um, a, a lot of black parents do it too. So the masculine, the, the, how the hell do you say that word? Um, demasculize? Uh, uh, emasculate, demasculize, emasculate, whatever. Yeah. Emasculate uh, these young boys before they, to show that they're harmless. Right. Yeah. So, like you mentioned earlier about the spaying and neutering of the of the animal, um, that's sort of a um, castration of black males to sort of turn them into eunuchs in a sense. You know, before they would let the eunuch go out and be and protect the harem, they would castrate them to make sure that they're not touching the merchandise. Right? They were harmless in that sense. You could never have sex with anyone in the harem. And, you know, to a large degree, we see that even today, I think. I think you're on to something, man. And, and and the same goes for what you said about um, the women knowing that how society feels about black males in general and being threatened by black males and them as mothers. You know, they understand that. So, like you said, they want to um, protect the kids from that. So what better way to do that than to make them have the appearance of someone that's harmless? So, yeah. Especially they would know how threatened white males are by black male sexuality. Yep. So the antithesis of that would be to feminize them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. They um yeah, exactly. And especially someone who's had like a uh white supremacist father, white supremacist husband, ex husband, and like you no, know, Sandra Bullock fits that case. Like she that was who well, she was married to. I mean, the the woman that um he cheated on her with. I think there was something with swastikas with her husband. Like her, her yeah, they were getting, they were. I think they took some photos and some not in some Nazi fire or something. Yeah, it was something really weird. Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There were like Nazi photos. Like, like, like they were him and his mistress were tatted up and both doing Nazi stuff. So yeah, they were on some some Nazi shit together. That's that's not the kind of thing you casually do. No, not at all. There's definitely a lot of thought that goes into that. A lot of research and shit like that. It's not like I think they at the time they tried to be like. Oh, you know, I didn't know what this meant. I just, you know, it looked cool, so we just went along with it. But um, I think, yeah, as time went on, you know, it came out that it was something a little bit deeper than that. Because remember, at that time, he had a hot television show. Yeah, yeah, he did. He Uh, did. Yeah, with him. uh, What was he doing? Customizing choppers or something like that? Yeah, one of those reality show things where they just follow you in your job. Like, it wasn't a tattoo thing. I think you're right. I think it was one of those uh, customizing things. Uh, something else to add to the whole um, demasculizing, uh, emasculating thing, I don't, uh, whatever you want to call it, is even that thing that they originally got famous for is an example of that in a way. Like, hey, I have this boy here and he's looking for hugs. 
from men, you know, and he's he just walks around with a sign. He's crying with a sign for hugs. Like she's pretty much like um advertising the boy as like baby soft, like and making him go to cops and hug them. It's kinda like showing your neck to a predator. Like, you know, whether she was doing it for uh nice reasons or whether she was doing it for her own um nefarious reasons or because, you know, she was afraid to have a too masculine, you know, black man under her wing. But regardless, you know, that that is kind of a very submissive, emasculating type of thing to coach the boy into, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially with him being as resistant to it as he was, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure on some level he knew that, you know, that was a bad look with everything that was going on at the time. That's odd in and of itself. Like, why, if they were there to protest police brutality, I wonder why they wanted to coax him so bad into hugging the police officer. I mean, they knew that to a certain degree that that was going to ha- be a bad look. I mean, like, I wonder why. They- okay. Here's, here's, here's an example. Maybe cops have, were shooting Rottweilers in town because a lot of them, you know, these Rottweilers are from dog fights or are being owned. These Rottweilers and pit bulls are being owned by bad owners who are training them to be aggressive and whatever, you know. So you go to town to protest these cops who are shooting uh, Rottweilers because you yourself, you're a you're a Rottweiler owner, and as you mm. as you go as you go to the protest. One of the things you try to do is, you know, in addition, you're like, hey, I know a lot of these Rottweilers are wild animals, but it's not their fault because these people train them to be that. So they might say, hey, some of these people maybe are criminals or thugs or dress a certain way or maybe they resist arrest or Mm -hmm. act whatever. But not all Rottweilers are like this. Uh, For example, here's our Rottweiler. See how well he's trained, you know? And then they um, push that image of the kid uh, being like this kind of baby soft, holding a sign, crying thing. So I think it can be both. You're protesting what happens, but you're also trying to give PR to show like um, they can be civilized. A lot of them are good. A lot of them just want to be loved. And if you give them a good home, if you give the Rottweilers a good home, they can uh, be as... Hmm as playful as any puppy, you know? <laughs> well, that's an even sicker scenario because in that analogy, shit, the Wattweiler would also demonstrate a level of discomfort around those, those yeah. agents. So that would be like, you take the Rottweiler to show them that, you know, all Rottweilers are not bad, but the Rottweiler sees the cop. He smells that, that yeah. familiar scent. And he's doing everything he can to get the hell away from that threat. But then you force him to go over there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They can pick, up, mean, the ener- they can pick up the energy, man. I, I believe in that. Yeah, yeah. Right, you're tr- right. So they're like, get me the hell out of here. You make him go anyway. Yeah, you're trying to make him unlearn his um, fight or flight response, you know, in order to uh, be domesticated. Yeah, yeah. Another possibility to take into account, uh, in fairness to the cop, maybe the kid wasn't so much afraid of the cop, but maybe that crying, that shaking, whatever, the kid was actually afraid of 
the mother. It was actually the adopted mother was afraid of. Maybe it was actually a cry for help. Maybe that hug to the cop that was so tight and he didn't want to let go. Maybe it's because he wanted um, help from the cop and he wasn't afraid of them. Or maybe he wanted help from the cop because he was afraid of the mother, but he's also kind of afraid of the cop and the kid's like a deer in the headlights doesn't know where to go. And because the kid was crying before they even hugged the cop. So the kid was probably afraid of the mother, maybe even more so than the cop. Uh, and one of the help from the cop is hugging the cop really tight. He's crying before he even approaches the cop. But that crying is really a fear of his mother, not the cop. But he is too scared to say anything to the cop. Is also too scared to let go of the cop either because this might be one of his last chances uh, for help. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could be going going on here. It's it's tough to say. A lot of the stuff that's going on right now, um, you know, speaking of masculinity and things like that, it, there's a lot of examination happening in the community and, and abroad about, you know, the 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 dangers of hypermasculinity and things like that. So there's a lot of activities that when I was a kid, you know, it was perfectly normal to do them. But now those activities are sort of frowned upon. I mean, even football now um, is looked at as somewhat barbaric in nature and hypermasculine and something that needs to be toned down. Um, so I just find it very interesting that they would, counter that by kind of forcing him to do because you know how fathers are criticized a lot of times for making their kid um, box or making their kid do some masculine activity that the kid doesn't want to do clearly doesn't want to do it he's like get your ass in there and yada 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 right and then that's frowned upon but then you know you kind of flip that and they're making this kid do something that he clearly doesn't want to do but everybody kind of sees it as a cute moment. You know, that's kind of speaks to a level of hypocrisy in a sense, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it, too, is just that they view things as a threat to themselves versus things as something mm. that protects them. So it's like, I think a lot of times mm. people think... So it's a level of reassurance, huh? Yeah, because I think a lot of times when people see, like, a white man, uh, they think of a white man as something that is there to protect them a lot of the time. We're talking about in a dominant society, not in the black community. So when a white man is being trained to be a fighter, trained to be hard, trained to be whatever, it's in their mind benefiting all of society. Like we, a lot of us need strong white men. They're the ones who are going to protect us from the the hordes of whatever. But <laughs> yeah. you when you black men uh-huh. getting strong, it's like, okay, the savages are building up their uh right. their, their strength. And I think it's where a lot of that um uh, hypocrisy comes from. But sadly, a lot of us in the black community, especially those of us Yeah, yeah, especially those of us who have been like trained, like you know, especially those of us who've gone to like the um the colleges and the white offices, the white workplaces, or live in the white neighborhoods. We've internalized, you know, or grew up as tokens. You know, we've internalized a lot of that same um, dynamic of seeing uh, strong black men as a threat to society, even though we're black, and strong white people as a sign that 
uh, civilization is in in good hands. So, because a lot of these think pieces complaining about black toxic masculinity, a whole ton of them are by black people. Absolutely. And so, not only that, man, some of the leaders of March for Your Life, March for Our Lives, and things like that, or at least some of the people that they've had out in front of the camera, have been black people, right? And the irony in that whole situation is. You're talking about stricter gun control laws and all this kind of thing. Nobody needs to have no no uh, civilian needs to have these types of guns and yada, yada, yada. And the irony in that situation is you're leaving it in the hands of law enforcement only. The same entity who you say have no regard for black lives. But, yeah. you know, you are unintentionally showing that. You have a high regard for, you know, white protectors and things like that by uh, participating in that kind of thing. It's a really strange dynamic. I don't quite understand it, but that's another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one to uh, hold on to uh, and talk about in the, in the future. And, and actually, I do want to do um, one about that March thing. So, yeah, I'm going to write that down to return to the future cool. date. Because I don't think this... this um. I don't think this debate's going away soon. I kind of wanted to talk about conservatives in the in the future future episode. Conservatives and their hard on for attacking those uh, <laughs> white <laughs> kids. You know, it's kind it's it's kind of interesting that you know these are like kids that are like a lot of them are like white kids, and you know, conservatives was about the family, whatever. I would think the kids would kind of strike some kind of visceral protective vibe in them where they might you know act funny as far as like kind of lessening up on the gun thing because it's like okay these are our kids strong white children white genocide is the bad thing uh this is a form of white genocide but it's funny they get more angry at white genocide in the image of black people fucking white women and creating uh, half white kids. That white genocide scares them more than literal white genocide of the kids getting shot. They would rather lose actual white children than have half white children be born. That's very kind of weird. Like, uh, I mean, it even surprised me because I like to kind of study like their pathology, and that I didn't even see that coming. That's that really surprised me. Yeah, that that actually is. Very surprising. I have a prediction about something along those yeah. um, with uh, regarding that topic, and I'll put it out there really quickly. I have a theory, actually, I should say, that they're putting a lot of black faces out there. You notice like a lot of them are getting um, kids from inner city schools and stuff like that to come and speak at these rallies. I think that is kind of to get conservatives wheels to start spinning in their head a little bit and say, ah, you know what? Yeah, the inner cities, you know, they do need some gun control down there. In fact, let's let's make some laws specifically targeting those areas because there's a lot of gun violence there, right? So we definitely need to tighten up the laws in those areas. You know, I'm kind of sensing something yeah. weird getting ready yeah. to happen with that. I kind of wonder why they keep putting so many black kids. Yeah, out yeah, yeah. Something's up with that. You know e I mean? Even if that's not their original plan, I think as more and more black kids show up, they're going to end up taking it there for sure. Yeah. So, so either it's what they're planning from the get go, or 
they're gonna just see the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm. I, I wanna actually. I just thought of something. It's gonna end on a little bit of a weird note. But have you seen this video called uh, "Freaky Friday" by this guy called Lil Dicky? Uh, it's featuring featuring Chris oh Brown. God. Have you seen it? It's going around. I haven't watched it yet, but I've I've seen the uh, somebody actually sent me that video. But I haven't um, watched something that yet. I've just really found um, interesting is because I, 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 I've been paying attention to it, and there is a real, real fixation with black men's penises, and particularly by white men. And I was, I was reading it's, no, but it's in general. It's really old. Like it goes back to like slave times. Like you know, this is this is like this fascination with it, and they, um, I think there's three things that kind of haunt like uh, a lot of the white male psyche. And that's one is they want to know what it's like to, uh, I think there's a, first is a kind of a homoerotic attraction to the black dick. So they kind of want to know what it's like to be with one, but they also want to know what it's like to have one, but they also want to know. And I think this is uh, slightly uh, all these are slightly subtle variations. They want to know what it's like to fuck a white woman with a black dick. Yeah, I think there's something about them like, I want to know what it's like to have this powerful weapon and to bang my woman with it. So I think that's where a lot of that attraction to watching interracial porn or watching... Um, or that cuckold thing where they get a, a black guy to do it. I think like by proxy, it's like, I'm going, since I can't actually literally have a black dick, I'm going to um, hire, like by proxy, he's going to be my representative and he's going to be my black dick to fuck you with. Like, I think, yeah, because it's this weird um, dynamic of using that as a form of punishment and also of, of there's this weird fascination with it where they say, oh, you know, I hope you get things like as a form of punishment to white women who stray. Oh, yeah. By packs of niggas, right? Like Mel Gibson said. But then there's also a fascination with it, like you're describing, where there's sort of a weird attraction to it. Yes, yes. And and it's kind of like a weapon that they can't have or really match in their uh imagination like you know and um and this is a guy called thomas foster i'm trying to get him on the show but he actually spoke to him he says he's kind of busy because he's working on a book but he would do it uh later but one of his things was he specializes in the sexual abuse of black male slaves during slavery and what his thing is is that it's very underreported and also like it's not like you have the children as evidence because, you know, a man's not going to get another man pregnant. But So he had to, like, go deep into, like, uh, records, journals, and all this stuff. And it was harder to find because of the circumstances. But he found a lot of different proof that there was a lot of uh, sexual abuse of male slaves um, under white supremacy. But what's interesting is there was a lot of cases of, like, um, men holding at gunpoint to like um, male slaves making them have sex with uh, white women at gunpoint um, especially like white women who ha- had uh, misbehaved he has a study uh, if I find a PDF of it I'll put it in 
I'll put it in the uh, show notes. But yeah, Thomas Foster um, is, is a professor. Yeah. And so I was shocked when I read that. I was like, wow, that's pretty much like uh, interracial or cuckold porn. Like, like the, a group mm-hmm. of them would get together and force a slave at gunpoint to uh, have sex with a white woman, especially one that they kind of felt kind of deserved like um, a type of punish- punishing. But um, Francis Cress Welsing, who, you know, is very controversial. Some people say she's uh, pseudoscientific. Uh, Tim Wise calls her pseudoscientific bullshit. Pseudoscholar? What's that? I said they're saying she's a pseudoscholar? Yeah, but I am a big fan of Francis Cress Wilson. Absolutely. Because I think uh, she predicted a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, it may not have been double-blind, peer-reviewed, t- tested, or she may have not always framed it, you know, in a way that they would have liked, but the the archetypes and narratives like work. And one of her uh, theories is that um, if symbolically, like you have the specter of a black male penis um, hanging over you that you're measuring yourself against or that you wish uh, that you have a kind of fascination and attraction to, but also you kind of wish that you could put it on and use it, you know, the way um, the black man uses it. And you can even use it both to please your woman your white woman, but also to um, punish Punish. your white woman, right? He's saying, like, the reason why uh, America with its very white supremacist uh, origins and how white supremacy is in its DNA, uh, white men need guns because guns are their black penis. It's their, yeah. The gun is their only real way of having a black penis. And if they're afraid of um white genocide which if white genocide is uh black men impregnating white women or wiping out the, the white race through miscegenation then then the bullets are like the black sperm so then your bullets are like you know you have your black gun and you have your sperm and you know it's it's like it's it's their um black penis that's that's uh her thing but then what i was thinking is you see how all these school shooters they always have they always 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 have some kind of white supremacy leaning when you find when you find out you always dig in like dylan roof had it elliot roger that they found out was frequenting uh was frequenting um and his big thing was he was very obsessed with miscegenation and he was like taking out a lot of women and it's like the same way a lot of these uh races like to imagine like a black penis as a way to punish um like like a real black penis as a way to punish a white woman uh i think a lot of these same racist uh guys who are mad at uh white women as well like to use their black penis to take out white women as well uh that that being a gun Uh so yeah a lot of these racists also are big into shooting white women too if you notice it's uh interesting yeah, yeah, as a form of yeah. as a form of punishment, that same. Um, but this Freaky Friday video, but Lil Dicky and Chris Brown, uh, they switch bodies in this video, right? And so many of the lyrics, so much of the imagery is about Little Dicky and Chris Brown's body and all the things he wants to use um, his dick for. 
I mean, that in and of itself is a double entendre. His name is Little Dicky. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but, but a lot of the humor in the video is about, you know, he's cracking on how small his dick is and how happy, and how happy now right. that he has Chris Brown's dick. You know, first of all, first of all, he's marveling at the dick. So he's like kind of, that's kind of homoerotic. He keeps looking at it to marvel at it. But then, oh, but then he's talking about like, you know, he's in the bed with white women as Chris Brown. All all over him. So he's going to use this black dick on white women. I mean, this, this is something I believed before I saw this video. When I saw this video, I was like, oh, I wish I had said this on a show before because this video is everything. Um, Yeah, but I mean, I think it vaguely ties into what we were already talking about because, you know, about how this is what black men are. They're, they're not men, but they're they're under male but they're over no they're under they're underdeveloped as men but they're overdeveloping the imagination as as male and and that's the same thing that also has these people seeing the value in um demasculizing us too yeah i i, I agree i concur with that theory wholeheartedly and um if anything, because of anecdotal evidence that, you know, um, this is what we actually see. You know, we see this play out in real life situations every day, you know, and um, I haven't seen anything to the contrary. So, you know, I guess it's going to take a study to come out later on that kind of proves all yeah, of this yeah. stuff. <laughs> that and, we and, that's why, and that's why so yeah. many black men get shot unarmed because in their primal imagination, mm -hmm. we're not unarmed because... We have penises on us. That's our that's our gun, right? If you go watch, if you go look at, um, oh man, that's that's a horrible. I, yeah, I just, just, just kind of kicked in right? what you said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just, it just kicked in. Like, like like if if their gun is just basically a black penis, then we're evenly matching their mind. Yeah, because they empty the clip into some of these guys, man. They don't just shoot yeah, because, you know, hey, once or twice. Hey, he's he's got a gun. He's it's it's in his it's in his pants. He's, it's tucked in the front of his pants, and it's attached to him. It's his penis. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's I guess it's like them imagining that yeah. they're conquering a wild beast. You know, this this wild beast has to be both feared. And at the same time, it's an um, even matchup. It's an even matchup to them, you know. It's, uh, it's both armed and the same thing. It's yeah. yeah. It's always was weird to me how they would have that view, but then, um, like, you read a lot of YouTube comments and things like that. Like, if you go and watch some of these YouTube fights or something like that, where it happens to be a white guy fighting with a black guy, and you go down and you read the comments, which are always yeah. more entertaining than the actual clip itself. A lot of times in the comment, it's the schizophrenia that plays out where black people, black men can't fight. They always have to jump somebody or they can fight or and we have to shoot them. You know, they should have been shot. You know what I'm saying? But then, you know, if a white guy kicks a black guy's ass in one of those clips, oh, yeah, you know, they can't really fight. So, I mean, God damn, which is it? Dude? They can't fight, but you got to shoot them anyway. But then when you look at some of these um, cases where unarmed black men are shot, you know, these people fear for their lives that they're going to be beaten to death. I think Darren Wilson even said that he feared that Mike Brown was going to knock him out. Right. He's going to beat him to death or whatever. So he had to shoot him in the head or what have you, you know. 
So I just thought that was always a fascinating uh, sort of contradiction that happens in those circles. It's like no matter what, you know, there's always some type of justification or some weird thing that, you know, yeah, I can kick black guys asses. They can't fight. But on the other hand, oh, my goodness, I fear for my life. I couldn't fight him. So I had to shoot him. You know, it's just a weird thing to me but i digress yeah yeah oh man oh we should do a whole show on like weird self-contradicting ideas that uh white supremacists have because that comes up with us a lot and we've never collected them all in one place but yeah but yeah we definitely have to do that yeah yeah things that uh totally diametrically um oppose each other but that they uh have no problem like holding at the same time like two different ideas it doesn't have to make sense racism in and of itself doesn't make any sense yeah yeah so you know it's not surprising that um some of the excesses of it don't make any sense either either you know i want to throw in one last thing i forgot to uh, mention too is you know a lot of these people like like we said they target black people because they know it's easier to get away with abusing them that you know you'd naturally get a benefit of the doubt when you abuse black people rather than when you abuse white people because it becomes the black person's word against your word that's kind of why a lot of times when there's racism or stuff black witnesses don't really get the job done but when there's white witnesses it um suddenly it becomes like oh wait maybe there really is racism here it's kind of like with paula dean like uh with mike brown all those black witnesses who were contradicting what uh the cop was saying they would just assume they were kind of lying or just colluding and uh with paula dean when she got busted for racism she she got busted because it was a white lady who um blew the whistle on her and that's what uh made people really take it uh seriously so i think what happened here is that the neighbors and a lot of the people who were turning on the two parents, the two lesbian white parents who uh, were the head of the family, it was a lot of other white people um, talking about it, like their white neighbors, white couples, uh, straight white people were uh, bad-mouthing the family and calling social services. So... I think that's why the jig was finally up and the circle was closing in on them. And I think um, it could have gone on a lot longer if it wasn't for that. If it wasn't for uh, white people getting getting involved, it was black people saying, hey, I think something's wrong here. Or if it was like those, just the black kids themselves, their, their word against the white parents, it could have uh, lasted a lot uh, longer. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. So, so yeah, I mean, um, good luck for, to that kid. I'm skeptical, but I hope he's alive somewhere and they find him. It's been five days, but yeah, I hope so. And the other two kids, too, there's three of them missing. I hope they find all three. Um, and yeah, have a good night, bro. Take care. Uh, you too, man. Thanks all for uh, coming up and staying up and doing it, man. Thank yeah, you. man. Likewise, man. Be good. All right, have a good night. All right. All right.